You know a lot about golf. It is time for us, those weekend golf guys. John Ashton here in studio. Jeff Smith in West Lafayette, or is it West Lafayette, Indiana? We're not sure. Well, one way or another, it's a nasty place to be because it's just rainy and yucky. And Purdue country, and that's no place for an IU grad to be hanging out, man. It isn't, you know, (laughs) and I wore my red today well good for you had to have i had to dress the place up a little bit you know little crimson and cream (laughs) you know they got a little too much black and gold and it's just gosh it's hard to be here i understand but you are up up there for a a junior golf tournament that your son is playing in yes just for those who may not be familiar jeff's uh, son is is a, a, a very accomplished uh junior golfer a very good high school golfer, and is being recruited for uh, college golf teams, which is always nice when you're a parent and you say, ooh, that college fund could make a nice bar in the family room. But <laughs> yeah. what what I want to ask and in, in kind of uh, lay it out for many of us who, who have children good at golf or very interested in golf, could be good at golf, whatever – how many and how important is uh, participating in, in non-school-related tournaments like the one your son is in right now? How important are they to furthering his career? Well, they're, they're really truly the, the big thing. Um, and, and most of the reason is this, is that in the high school tournaments for boys, we're not competing against the best in the state every time. So you really don't get a chance to see how your skills really stack up on that day on that golf course where they're all playing the same day in the same course, right? Right. Because it's just all spread out. You know, you got a guy from Indianapolis who's playing up there and he's got maybe he's got a golf course that's playing pretty easy that day and maybe 20 minutes away. Somebody else is playing pretty easy that day. But what if all of a sudden somebody else is playing up in Fort Wayne or down in Evansville or someplace where it's a few hours and the weather's completely different? So there's really no way to compare in a high school season when everybody's spread out, compare levels of play. Right. But when all of those serious players start showing up at these bigger events and all of a sudden, you know, like, like in this event is the boys state junior where the only ones who get here, are the ones who qualify for it and they are the best players in the state, you know, all of a sudden you're, you're hanging out in the top 50 of the best players in the state after the first day or the second day. And then you get to go head to head battles and it's, and it's really pretty good. So that's where the coaches pay attention to stuff like that. They get to see, and they show up to places like this, you know, the state championship is almost that way, except there's too many really good players that just don't seem to make the state championship because of how few kids actually get to get there. Okay. Um, and, and most of it's a team thing. And so there's an awful lot of really good kids in the state playing who never really get to play in their state championship because, uh, because, because of the format of how you get into a state championship is it's a team thing. Yeah. And there's only a handful of individuals outside of that. So if your team's no good, then you really have a very slim chance of advancing. Okay. So these events are more representative of, are you really uh, one of the best players in the state? Gotcha. And so you, you get going to these other tournaments where you're not, you know, the parents aren't going to sign the kid up if the kid's not very good and spend the time off work and the travel to get there and the gas and the food and the hotels and all those things. Mm-hmm. The parents really aren't going to do that unless their kid is actually, you know, pretty serious about what they're doing and wanting to get better, or they've already been serious about what they're doing and are already a pretty good player to begin with. They don't even show up to tournaments like this. So it's only the best of the if best they're not there. If they're not in that position. Yes. Yeah, it, and that's where the coaches show up to these, and they pay attention to these versus you. paying attention to high school. Even in the state championships in high school, I know there's an awful lot of coaches that don't really – they say, hey, look, we're really not paying that, that close attention to whether you're there or whether you're not. If you're there, we're going to take a look at you. That's just one of those things. They, they pay attention to where the kids really are all the time because everybody has a chance to sign up for some of these tournaments, and some of them there's a chance that all the kids have a chance to qualify for it. Right. Now, so. Drew, Drew was supposed to tee off for this morning at uh, 8.30, but because of weather and uh, some heavy rains, I think torrential maybe Yeah, a lot of lightning. Yeah, maybe a way of explaining it. Um, will there be an asterisk at the end of the tournament that uh, denotes that, hey, the, the scores may be higher because the conditions were adverse, or does that not come into no. consideration at all? Okay. The, it, it does not. What will happen, though, is that there are always some tournament notes that the tournament directors always pay attention to. 
And if a coach really cared to take a look at what happens on a day like this, and all of a sudden they see the entire field scored a little higher on the second day than they did on the first, then they know something was up. And many of them check the dates and check the weather for the area. And they're, you know, if they're paying attention and say, hey, look, it's raining like crazy. And then all of a sudden when they see things got changed to, uh, you know, as opposed to having tea times early in the morning and all of a sudden they ought to be done by about one o'clock and everybody went off at one o'clock, um, they're looking at scores real time. And when they see that it got changed from tea times to a one o'clock shotgun, they know the weather was bad. Right. And they also know the course conditions will play a little wetter. Balls won't roll out as much. Kids will be hitting longer clubs into the greens. Scores will be a little higher. Gotcha. And they'll see that throughout the whole field. So they know hey, listen, what will happen. If you, if you have a junior golfer who's uh, interested in pursuing it, uh, whether to use his uh, entree as a college, to a college scholarship or whatever, um, one is you can check out $5 Golf Club. A lot of great videos that uh, can help your junior get the basics down. And another thing is we got a buddy, is a buddy of, uh, of yours, Jeff, uh, Matt Walter down in Nashville. Down in Tennessee. PGA uh, teaching pro down there with, uh, with a podcast that we've heard and, and uh, suggest maybe you check out too. It's called Junior Golf Blueprint. You can just look that yeah. up. It's on Apple. I've Podcasts. actually been on it. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. You're mm-hmm. now famous. So there you go. Um, we're going to be talking about. I've been on his podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> like this one doesn't do jack for you, but uh, we're going to talk about <laughs> about golf cliches, the things you've heard that really can uh, can damage your game. We're going to talk about those and uh, how to ignore them and what they really meant and uh, what you need to do to get better. When we come right back, we are those weekend golf guys. Please don't move. Hang with us. I've got a buddy that I play golf with on a regular basis, and we got into a two-man scramble at a very classy golf course. And he called and basically told me to wear something really nice. What he was saying was, John, don't wear shorts. Even though my shorts are Peter Moore shorts and they're really nice, he wanted me to wear long pants. This guy's a traditionalist. So what did I do? I pulled the Peter Millar five-pocket pants out of the closet and put them on. These things are so soft, so comfortable, and stylish. Not only did we look good on the golf course in the two-man scramble, which we won, by the way, but right afterwards, I went out to dinner with my daughter at a very nice restaurant. They are machine washable, so you can wear them to the golf course, you can wear them out to eat, you can wear them wherever you want to. Did I mention they were comfortable? Five pocket pants, the most comfortable pair of pants that I've really ever had. And you can say that about everything from Peter Millar, too. Their shorts are so soft. The shorts that I wear on most occasions when I play golf, well, they're great, too. Why don't you head over to PeterMillar.com slash weekend right now and check out some of our favorite Peter Millar clothing, okay? Uh, and make sure to use our link, and you will receive complimentary shipping and a free hat. That's right. Complimentary shipping and a free hat. That's Peter Millar, M-I-L-L-A-R.com slash weekend. PeterMillar.com slash weekend. Go now. And it's us, those weekend golf guys. John Ashton here in the studio. Jeff Smith, undercover from the rain in West Lafayette, Indiana at the moment. But golf cliches, how badly do they hurt yourself? And the first one I'm going to talk about here, man, is is probably one that that will come into into play for your son today because it's so wet. But never up, never in. You got to get it there. Uh, you know, thanks, Captain Obvious. Yeah, <laughs> we appreciate you telling us half. Appreciate you telling us half the story, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know. So let's get to the never up, never end. Okay, so let's define it, right? Because some people new to the game go, "What? What did he just say? Never up, never end." How about this? If the never ball gets up to the hole, it can never go in. Right. Makes sense, right? Yeah. That just means when you tell somebody never up, never in, you're always saying it to somebody that leaves it short. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Captain Obvious. That's what you say back. Thanks a lot. (laughs) No kidding. But the downside of that is, is that when that cliche keeps getting thrown out there, what they do is they are effectively telling somebody that there's four ways to miss a putt and you have to take one of them away. You know, four ways, left, right, short, and long, right? Right. But when you take away the short one by saying, hey, let's always get it to the hole. Yeah, okay, we all know we need to get it to the hole. But then it forces people in the mindset that, boy, I got to get to the hole or he's going to call me a bad name. So the next thing you know, the ball never goes in because he hits it too hard. Yeah. Because it's not like there's a backboard back there either. Exactly. So that mm-hmm. it, that's the downside to that sentence. 
and it gets everybody to hit it way too hard. And next thing you know, you got an eight foot comeback putt. Yeah. You know, instead of having a, a one footer that might've been short on a 20 foot putt and somebody goes, yeah, never up, never in, or, you know, oh, your husband play two or something <laughs> like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the, the whole thing is there is what is it that you want? You want to have a chance that gives yourself the best chance on the next putt if it doesn't go in. Right. So you tell me, everybody thinks, well, you got to try to make this one, of course. But what if it doesn't fall? Where do I want it to be? And I want it to be as close to the hole as possible. So if I have a 13 to 25 foot, 30 foot putt, whatever, and I leave that thing two inches short, I'm not mad. And if somebody breaks out the old never up, never in saying on me, I'm just going to look at them and go, I just made a two putt from 20 feet. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> First one didn't go in, but the second one sure did. Yeah. Put up or shut up, buddy. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I have found that if you take your first putt with an eye to only getting a manageable second putt that you're very confident with, not only will you three putt a lot less, but you will one putt a lot more. Yeah. Because you don't have. Because there's a particular speed that, that the ball can actually go in a hole. And when you're just trying to lob it up there and kind of stop it near the hole, it's actually got that speed. Right. That has a chance to go in. Yeah. And you don't, you don't have eight to 10 footers coming back because, you know, you were aiming no. for the middle of the cup and you misread the green again, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right. And that, that same sentence of never up, never in is the same guy that says, well, you got to give it a chance to go in. In which case they need to understand that speed you know, for a little hole in the ground, it's pretty easy to go past it. And then it had no chance yeah. to go in. And even with so speed, you can, the whole you can goal hit it, is get it to stop there. With speed, though, you can hit it in the right direction and still not get it to go in because you can, if you miss it by just an iota of an inch, you can, uh, you know, just watch that whole thing uh, orbit around the edge of the cup and centrifugal force sends it off to the edge of the green. No question about it. Hate that. Hate that when it happens. Yep. Also heard a yep. thing. Heard a thing that um, if if you are uh, let's say um, unconfident about your ability mm-hmm. to read the green correctly, that easy thing to do is always try to hit the ball to the high side of the cup. Does that make sense to yeah, you? It does because gravity is going to take it right back down. So it's always better to play to the high side so that it has a chance to move toward the hole as it's slowing down, as opposed to away from the hole. I know you're a big proponent of about. of reading a green with your feet, which is still I am. something I, I, unless it's it's a very blatant uh, incline, I still haven't been able to do very well. But is there there any sort of a formula that you use on amount of incline or, or decline you feel in your feet to judging how much harder you should hit the ball than normal? You know, it's really hard to define that in words. Okay. Um, there are things that you can feel. And when you start to feel it become a little bit more severe, you're going to incrementally hit it a little bit harder. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, I hate to say this to you, John, but there, there are things that you just have to practice. Oh. And that feel and how hard you hit something is definitely one of them. Yeah. I wish I, I wish there was a formula that I could describe to you over the air that says, you have to put X amount more force into the ball to make that happen, to get it to go there. But yes, when you walk and you feel something, you're going to have to push just a little bit harder. Just like if you're walking up a hill yeah, sure. and you're just out for a little stroll and you know it's easier to walk down a hill than it is up. And then the steeper the hill, the more effort it takes you. Yeah. So it's the very same thing about a ball trying to roll up a hill versus a ball easily rolling down. So it's yeah. difficult to, to put it into words. It is. And in the words but of the Beaches, we want to make sure that words are all we have. Mm-hmm. You know, that's right. We're on the radio. So pictures to follow, but that would make it TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, $5 golf club. I'm sure you can find <laughs> some pictures there, but again, the whole practice thing, man, is, you know, like, you know, you got to work. I don't work at golf. You know, I work at other things. I got golf on my days off. So the practice thing is, um, you know, I, I go on Saturday and try to remember what I did last Saturday. And sometimes when you have a memory like a steel sieve, 
it's a bit difficult to do. <laughs> Another cliche that you've heard a lot from your buddies on the team, keep it under the wind. Oh, A, what does that mean? And B, how the heck do you do that? When we come right back, we're all those weekend <laughs> golf guys. You want to see how great a golf instructor Jeff Smith really is? It's very easy. $5golfclub.com. The number $5golfclub.com. Back in the early 2000s, some department store here in town heard me talk about golf on my morning show on the radio, and they decided that they'd bring me a couple samples of Peter Millar golf shirts. I was hooked. They were absolutely phenomenal. Probably the best looking and the most comfortable golf shirts I ever had. Not only does it feel wonderful, it looks fantastic. It helps protect you from sun. It fits great. It looks great. And you can wear it anywhere. I mean, it's not just for golf anymore, guys. Peter Millar. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to Peter Millar. That's M-I-L-L-A-R dot com slash weekend. Check their stuff out. I will uh, guarantee you that you'll want some. And once you get one piece, yeah, you're going to be coming back more and more and more. It's Peter Millar, M-I-L-L-A-R dot com slash weekend. And if you do buy something, you're going to get free shipping and a free hat. PeterMillar.com slash weekend. I got an email just the other day. Guy said, John, how much does it cost to join $5 Golf Club? Yeah, that's what I said, too. $5, hence the name, $5 Golf Club, all right? It's not just $5 to get in, and then we hit you with more. No, $5 this month, next month, and every month that you feel you need to become a member and stay a member to get to where you want to be in your golf game. Whether you want to break 100, break 90, break 80, break 70, whatever your number is, Jeff Smith has the videos there now, and new videos coming every week that will help you accomplish that goal. Okay? $5golfclub.com. Use the number $5golfclub.com. That's all it costs. $5 a month. Phenomenal golf instruction at a ridiculously low price. That's us. $5golfclub.com. Us, those weekend golf guys, John Ashton here, Jeff Smith there. Keep it under the wind. You know, you're on the tee box, you got wind in your face. At least it feels like it's in your face. You throw the grass up and right. go somewhere behind you, so you go, oh, it's close enough to being in your face. And and the one guy in your group that knows everything about golf says, make sure you keep it under the wind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How well, do I do that and... Wind that's is kind of like That's another pervasive. way of saying, let's hit a lower shot. Okay. That's really what that is. Because, okay, there, there's some reality to that, and then there's a little bit of hocus-pocus to that sentence. Right? Okay, all right. You could sit on the ground, and you'll have some wind, and you can feel it. But the higher you go up, like above the tops of the trees, there's more wind up there. Almost every time the wind blows, okay. there's more where it's not being blocked by something. So let's just imagine you're out in the fields of nowhere in Kansas and Nebraska out in the middle of nothing. Mm -hmm. And there's no trees and there's no hills. All right. So you got a 40 mile an hour wind blowing and 10 feet above you, it's 40 miles an hour. And right down by your ankles, it's 40 miles an hour because nothing's stopping it. Right. Right. But in a lot of other places, there's some hills and there's some other things that's changing the the wind and it usually goes upward over the tops of the things that are obstacles. Okay. And so it, there's more wind high than there is low. So what that sentence is about keeping your ball below the wind, they really just said, keep your ball below the stronger wind, right? Because there's always some out there, but it's at a little bit higher. It's a little bit stronger. So what we're trying to do essentially, that's really just saying, Hey, we're going to hit a lower shot. So how do we do that? Well, the first thing to do to hit a lower shot is, Take a club that's less lofted. For example, uh, I played two days in a row last summer at a, a, a place that had a really, really stiff wind on one day. I was playing at Royal Dornock. We were playing the 10th hole. Mm-hmm. And on the first day, there was virtually no wind, and I hit a pitching wedge to the front of the green from 128 yards away. Okay. And the next day we played it, they had a very stiff wind, and I hit a four iron 
to the front of the green at 128 yards. How much of that, that was, was a pretty rolled? stiff wind. Was it all in the air um, or did none. you roll it? Uh, it was all it was all in the air. Okay. But the pitching wedge, there's no chance I would have hit the pitching wedge on the second day because of how much wind there was. Yeah. Because had I hit the pitching wedge, the same thing that I hit the day before, because it's 128 yards, I would have hit it solidly and it would have shot right up in the air and the wind would have blown it around, <laughs> mostly back in my face. Yeah, behind so you I maybe. took a four iron and hit it low. <laughs> okay. Right? And I managed to get that on the green. So the second day I hit it below the wind. Right. Actually, what I did is I hit a very penetrating lower flying shot into the wind and it held the ball up and managed to hit, you know, a four iron that I normally hit 195 yards. I hit it 128 yards. Now, did you? And most people would say, well, it doesn't sound like you hit it very good. And truth is, I hit it really well. That's how much wind there was. Okay. Did you make any but you adjustments? you need to play that. Yeah, the adjustment I made was pulling out the four iron uh, so that it would not fly so high. It wouldn't launch as high up in the air. Okay. And it wouldn't fly so high. And but, I put the four iron in the same place I put the pitching wedge, which is in the middle of my stance. Okay. So I came into the ball, my club face came into the ball with a whole lot less loft. Gotcha. Okay. It's the number one thing no. that you do when you're playing in the wind is yeah. you de-loft. You take more club. You take less loft. Right. But you don't make any other changes to the club to artificially de-loft it. No, and this is where I see an awful lot of people really mess up. Yeah. You yeah. know, they'll move a ball back in their stance, they'll jam their hands forward, but what always happens in that to de-loft the club? That's where they take an 8-iron and they try to turn it into a 4-iron. Right. And I just look at them and go, why don't you just take the 4-iron? If that's the kind of loft you think you're trying to need, why don't you just take the 4-iron and do it? Because what always happens, the ball goes so far back, their hands are so far forward, their wrists are already pre-cocked, and then the first thing they do is that when they take it back, they have such a steep angle of attack to a ball that's down back in their stance, and they're coming down at it, and they, they create more spin. And the problem is, is you don't want a lot of spin when your ball's being played in the wind because then the, the ball gets played with an awful lot because it starts to spin, the wind helps it spin more, and anything you hit a little offline is all of a sudden it's a lot offline. Right. So I try not to let people move the ball too far back in their stance. I keep it just barely to the right of center, uh, you know, center meaning the spine. Right. Not halfway between the feet. Right. Yeah. Um, and I and I'll tell people to keep it there, but it's just better to take more club and then just play it with a little shorter shaft. You know, try to take instead of an eight iron and try to turn it into a four iron by moving the ball back, well, why don't you just take the four iron, put it just barely in the center and then just grip it at the length of the eight iron. And then now you have the shot you're really trying to create to begin with. Right. Yeah. You've got the eight iron. With so the when you're before. Gotcha. playing it below the wind is really not that hard. Well, sure. You if just you got to knock it doing. down below the stronger wind. <laughs> right. Come on, John. How, how hard is it to take less club? It's not, it's not at all. It's not, it's not hard at all. Um, You just have to realize that it's going to work. See, it's the whole confidence thing, man. You you can't sit there and go, but if I, if I hit this four iron, man, I'm going to be, I'm going to have a a three wood coming back. Let mother nature do her thing, man. You know, you do yours, let mother nature do hers and everybody will be happy. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Don't don't be messing with it. Because there is nothing more frustrating than hitting an absolutely gorgeous shot. You know, when, when as Jeff was saying, there are impediments on the course that stop you from feeling the wind, even stop the grass that you manage to pick up from blowing anywhere. So you go, oh, there's no wind. And you look at the flag and, oh, there's no wind. But you neglect to look at the tops of the trees around you to see that, indeed, yeah, there is a ball, wind. Yeah, and then you hit a big, right, you hit a big high shot. And then all of a sudden the wind st- up there starts to blow it around some. And you go, well, wait a minute. I stood here and I tossed some grass in the air, yeah. but you did it at chest high. Right. But you didn't look at what, where the, the heavier wind really is. The stiffer wind is always up the top of the tree. So instead of picking up grass and acting like that's going to do anything for you, it's really not. Um, you know, what you really need to do, if you're going to look that low, you might as well look at people's pant legs <laughs> and see if they're flapping around, right? Yeah. See if their hair's blowing around. You know, why don't you look at it that way instead of throwing up some grass? 
But, you know, at the same time, if you look at the tops of the trees, then you'll see what's real because that's where your ball is going to be. Exactly. And there is nothing more frustrating than hitting an absolutely gorgeous shot straight at a pin only to see it get three quarters of the way there and like suspend itself. Moving nowhere until it falls straight down to the ground about 25 yards short. That's right. Don't try that because it is frustrating. Take it from me who has done it on multiple occasions because I'm too stupid to look at the trees. Okay. (laughs) Never again will I miss a tree. Now, there is a video that we're going to uh, use words to describe that Jeff has up at $5golfclub.com, a new video for uh, this coming week, on the same situation, wind but with a driver off the tee. And, And... I think in the video, Jeff shows you the facial expression you're supposed to use when that guy in your group says, hit it under the wind. Just (laughs) don't do anything nasty with the driver. We will discuss that and a whole lot more golf cliches that you've heard that are really screwing up your game when we come right back. Hang with us. A lot of us are looking for a miracle. You know, we go out and we buy a $500 golf club thinking it's going to give us straighter, longer drives. We buy a $150 golf club thinking it's going to get us out of the sand traps more easily and more often. We buy $200 golf clubs just because we want to get closer to that pin. Well, you know, you don't need a $500 golf club, a $200 golf club, a $150 golf club. All you need is a $5 golf club because the problem may not be the club. It may be your grip, it may be your stance, it may be your ball position, it may be your swing plane. It could be anything that an expensive golf club is not going to fix, but a $5 golf club can fix because Jeff Smith is a genius and he will be able to guide you where you need to go. Check it out, $5golfclub.com. That's all it costs, 5 bucks a month. Us those weekend golf guys, John Ashton here, Jeff Smith there. Keep it under the wind. You're on the tee box. You've got a driver in your hand because you're looking at, uh, let's say, about 380 par four, and you want to get it close. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to get into a you know a six or seven iron if possible. But again, the wind's in your face. Maybe not a terrific wind. Maybe you know 10, 15 mile an hour, which is going to be damaging to your shot. What do you do, man? You know, the first thing I like to do when I pay attention to where I am and what's on the golf course, the first thing I want to see is, is that situation 380 yards. It's into the wind. All of a sudden you got to start figuring out, okay, what's on the right and what's on the left. So first thing I want to know, because I'm about to alter the flight of my ball to keep it lower. Okay. How I'm going to do that is I'm going to move the ball back in my swing just a little bit. Normally I've got a tee shot and it's up here by my shoulder. Right. on the front shoulder right. so I can sweep it up and hit it high, but I don't really want to launch it that high. So I'm going to move the ball back. If I move the ball back, I'm going to blow it out to the right because I caught it too early in my swing mm-hmm. where it hadn't come all the way around toward the target. So what I have to do then I have to turn the face a little bit, a tiny amount to the left. Okay. So that way I can hit a, a lower piercing ball flight shot that curves into the wind and rolls down the fairway. Right. Okay. So what I'm really trying to do at that point, I am really trying to hit one that pierces and rolls in the fairway. But what I need to know is what's on the right in case I miss it, what's on the left in case I overdraw it. I want to know those things. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm really looking for first. I, re- I really want to find out what's out there in front of me. And once I found that out, that technique of moving the ball back, turn the club face down is helpful, but not as helpful as the next thing about it. What I really, 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 really want, not a downward blow and not an upward blow, but I'm trying to get the most level blow from my club head coming into my golf ball, level to the surface, that kind of level. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Yep. yep. The reason I want that is because it reduces the spin but launches it high enough. If I come down upon it, the ball gets too much spin on it. And I don't really want that because a spinning ball into the wind, like I mentioned earlier, is just 
it's not a good thing. It overreacts. It's really not a good thing. So the spin in the right. wind makes the ball so, do, excuse me, do more of what the spin would normally cause it to do. Right. Yes. Okay. Yes. And and so what I'm really truly looking for is I'm looking for as low spinning a ball as I can really find. Right. When I do that, I'm getting it to roll out more. So a, a ball spinning into the wind is definitely out. So I want as level a blow as I can give it. So my thought process on that is I'm going to swing it wider on the way back. So more, I'm going to hover the club above, you know, above the ground behind the ball. And I'm going to sweep it as straight back as I can, trying to make my swing a little bit more elliptical. So it's flatter at the bottom instead of the, the big circle that it normally is that I take it back and it doesn't really elongate down at the bottom. I'm really looking for a flatter spot coming into it. So the club's coming in at a shallower, more level to the ground angle into the ball. That's what I'm really hoping for. Gotcha. So okay. what I'm going to do is I'm going to picture that my ball is sitting at the end of a two foot ruler, three foot ruler, right? Where it's at the front end of that ruler and the back end. All I'm trying to do is try to keep my club as level as I can to that ruler to the ground. So I have this picture in my head that that's where my ball sits. Mm -hmm. So that way my club is traveling down that ruler longer and flatter to the ground and straighter than my normal swing is. And more often than not, I get a ball that flies lower, rolls out a lot more, even though it doesn't get up into the wind and I don't hit it as hard as I've hit everything else. At least I don't have my ball being affected by the wind. It's not blowing around. Yeah. As you're watching it sail yeah. way to the right. Now, knowing that your ball is going to go to the right, um, and you, as you said, you, you turn the club head uh, a little bit in, would you counsel someone who's not confident enough to do the little change with the club head and know it's going to be correct to maybe aim a little further to the left? Or is that going to cause more problems? Well, it depends on which way the wind's blowing and it depends on which way the, the club is or the, 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 the hole is going. Okay. I want to know where the trouble is and I want to know the shape of the shot that I really need. Okay. All right. And because if, if I swing to the left and I put the ball in the middle and I keep my club face a little bit pointed down to the left, I'm not really happy with the left swing on that hole. Okay. If that, if that's, unless that thing is curving low left, the only chance that I get. So I, I, gotcha. I want to make sure that I'm paying attention to what hole I'm trying to do before I decide which direction I want to swing a little bit. So basically what you're saying is there are many elements one of us needs to take into consideration prior to actually making the shot. Because they all don't go in the same place. Yeah. Even if you're not confident in knowing that you can make the same shot over and over again, you still need to set up as if you're going to do it absolutely correctly. Right? Yeah. Yep. That's a frightening thing. Because <laughs> you know, people who have a tendency to slice the ball off the tee and can't for the life of them stop doing it, oftentimes start setting up aiming to the left. And for some reason, I don't know if it's psychological or if setting up to the left is what they need to do it right or what, but more often than not, when you set up to the left, you're not going to hit a slice that winds up in the middle. You're going to hit a ball straight and true, absolutely dead straight to where you are aiming on the left. Why is that? Sometimes our brains just make us square the club face to exactly where we're swinging. You know, we wish we could do it all the time so that happens or our balls would always go at the target, but sometimes it just doesn't happen that way. Yeah. Okay, real quick though, let's let's um it's it's not a cliche, but it's it's a thing that pops up and we got a couple minutes left here in this segment before we get to the biggest cliche of all. Um yeah. div divots. Is it bad yeah. with your irons if your divots are very small or you don't take one at all? No. Meant at what what it is is it depends on how you hit the ball. The divots are something that happens after you take the ball. Hopefully, yes, yes. Keep that in mind. Yeah. The the question why I'm asking is is I got a buddy that I play with all the time, and I hit my irons farther than he does. You know, club for club. 
but he always takes yep. very nice divots and he takes them after he hits the ball. You know, you see the ball, you hear the, the club hit the ball, you see the everything fly and then, you know, the ball leaves and then the divot happens. I hit strong iron shots. They go as high, if not higher than his, they go farther than his, but I don't take a divot. And I'm wondering, am I just getting lucky and not doing something correctly or, or what's the deal here? You know, sometimes the depth that your club travels down into the turf varies. But what you're really looking for is, you know, solid contact with the bottom of the golf ball, which is the top of the grass. Mm-hmm. And what if the club just got to that level only and didn't go down any further? Is that bad? Well, that's what I'm asking because that's no. obviously what my club no, does. it's really not. <laughs> okay, yeah, good. but think about it. Is not, it's not bad because your club got to the bottom of the golf ball. Bottom of the club to bottom of the golf ball is top of the grass. Right. But yet, think about your golf clubs for a minute. They're no longer, you know, back in the day, they had these sharp leading edges. And um, now they're much more rounded on the bottom. Okay. And because of that, they tend not to dig and plant tomatoes very much. Yeah. Kind of nice. Yeah, very nice. Right? So, that's, you know, oh, I just, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say that shock to your elbow is something I can live without. I agree. Yeah. I, I completely agree. So one of the things I love to tell the people that I work with about this, and they say, you know, should I be taking a divot? Should I not be taking a divot? Is it good to have a long beaver pelt like we used to see on TV? And the answer is probably not because you probably drove the club down too deep below the ball and the ball then got up too high on the club face. Okay. You probably lost some distance by doing that. So that could be why I keep uh, hitting my irons club for club longer than my uh, buddy. Uh, or you're just, pure striking purely striking the ball better and that could be the the reason maybe your buddy's just not that good <laughs> yes that could maybe uh, your buddy doesn't listen to the show enough right <laughs> well he he listens often enough that we're not going to mention his name because i think he'd take offense to that last statement you made <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, then. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm talking about a guy that I've only played with like twice in my life. Okay. So all the people who play yeah. with me regularly know it's not you. All right. The biggest cliche, the most damaging cliche. We're going to talk about that next. Can you guess what it is? We'll come back and see if you're right. We are those weekend golf guys, don't you? Would you like to get all this stuff a couple days early and totally commercial free? We can make that happen. Patreon.com slash golf guys p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash golf guys for as little as a buck a month you can become a sponsor and a patron i've got a buddy that i play golf with on a regular basis and we got into a two-man scramble at a very classy golf course and he called and basically told me to wear something really nice what he was saying was john don't wear shorts even though my shorts are Peter Moore shorts and they're really nice, he wanted me to wear long pants. This guy's a traditionalist. So what did I do? I pulled the Peter Millar five pocket pants out of the closet and put them on. These things are so soft, so comfortable and stylish. Not only did we look good on the golf course in the two-man scramble, which we won, by the way, but right afterwards, I went out to dinner with my daughter at a very nice restaurant. They are machine washable, so you can wear them to the golf course. You can wear them out to eat. You can wear them wherever you want to. Did I mention they were comfortable? Five pocket pants, the most comfortable pair of pants that I've really ever had. Why don't you head over to petermillard.com slash weekend right now and check out some of our favorite Peter Millar clothing, okay? Uh, and make sure to use our link and you will receive complimentary shipping and a free hat. That's Peter Millar, M-I-L-L-A-R.com slash weekend. We have a small yet loyal following of junior golfers, 12 to 18 year olds. I want to address myself to them right now. Listen, guys, girls. If you are serious about golf, there is a mom, there is a dad, there's a grandmother, a grandfather somewhere that are so psyched, but maybe they don't show it. They don't want to push, but they would love you to get involved in the game of golf. So why don't you go to them right now? Say, mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, I want to get better at this game. 
I want to get good at this game. I want to learn from a guy who has junior champions, high school, collegiate champions. He's even got a student who's kicking butt on the web.com tour. And it only costs five bucks a month. And I can learn at my own pace. And parents are going to be able to learn from their phones, which you know they don't drop out of their hands anyway. $5golfclub.com. Join for your kids' sake. Weekend Golf Guys, John Ashton and Jeff Smith and you, and we do appreciate you being here. And, of course, anytime you miss anything, thoseweekendgolfguys.com is where you can go. Uh, Facebook.com slash golfguys. And uh, if you're a Twitter or a, twi- tw- a tweeter, you can Twitter us at WKND Golf Guys. All right, we told you, the biggest, most damaging cliche that you can uh, follow. Keep your yeah. head down. <sighs> absolutely the worst it's a boat anchor john i see people trying to stare the, their ball into the ground they get lower and lower L- let me start from where all this be- this came from i want you to imagine the covers of magazines at impact position and what do you see all these great golfers doing the same thing their heads are down their left arms are straight they're striking a golf ball because they're turning their body through and all this stuff and their face at that moment in time happens to be staring at the golf ball at that moment in time. Right. So then people start to say this. They start to say it because they see it on, on the covers of magazines. But what about the cover of the magazine where they're showing somebody who's at their finish position when their head is facing the target and they're standing straight up? Mm, we forgot. And then they're no longer head down. They forgot about that, yeah, one, right? Yeah, I forgot to figure that into the equation. That that head down part, and the face looking at the ground is great at the beginning, but it's not great at the top of the backswing because it limits it like a boat anchor because it makes you can't turn. Mm-hmm. And then you can't turn through if you're trying to keep it down at impact. And it's even worse for those guys who are still staring at the ground with their face after the ball's gone and they're trying to continue all the way through. Yeah. So there's an awful lot of stuff there that gets wrecked because people have this thought, well, I got to keep the, the head down because they keep seeing it on covers of magazines and they keep people keep saying it. Could you imagine, John, for a second, if we were to look at the cover of a Sports Illustrated magazine with Michael Jordan on the cover with a fallaway twisting jump shot that the ball's coming off of one hand, finger extended, tongue sticking out, trying to keep his balance. Can you imagine if we taught basketball like that and said – Let's do, let's all get into that particular position and teach golf off of that. And then everybody would realize how ridiculously bad that idea is. Right, right. Because we saw the greatest player who's ever lived in that position. But yet that is widely acknowledged as a moment in time when a man's in motion. Guess what? So is that swing picture of a golf swing at impact. And they show all these pictures of where bodies tend to be at impact. And then people take it out of context. Right. Out of the context of that is a person in motion swinging a club and not look at the whole thing. They're just looking at that one freeze frame. That is where a lot of this comes from. And But it's a boat anchor. It stops you from moving. Right. Isn't the point to swing the club in a circle very fast around our bodies? Yes. And when we do that, aren't we rotating our bodies, our chest? And our shoulders, and we're always saying, well, i got to get my shoulders back. i got to rotate them more. i got to rotate them all the way through. Aren't we always telling people that? Yes. Because that's how you move the club? Yes. Could you imagine that the goal of trying to rotate the shoulders and the chest from at the ball to twisting it back, facing behind you, and then twisting it through there and facing the target with your chest and your shoulders? Could you imagine trying to do that while six inches above it, trying to keep the fixed points facing in the ground? <laughs> is there any wonder why we have people with damaged backs in golf? I'm yeah. surprised we don't have more people with discs that haven't been blown out in their neck. Yeah, and, and neck problems in uh, the whole nine yards, man. But is it yeah. safe to say, as, as someone told me, that as long as your eyes are watching the club hit the ball, that's cool? It's really helpful. Okay. No doubt about it. Yeah. It's really helpful. 
Yeah, because when you so do pick just, your head up or, or move your shoulders, I mean, you're changing the direction of the swing arc, which is going to hit behind or on top of, or it's it's going to it's going to screw up the swing, and you're not going to make the right contact. Yeah, that's there's a lot to that. Okay, there's a lot to it. So, so when you when you right, we're well, back to Captain so Obvious about, here, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, we are. I mean, just thinking about that. The people that are trying to do one thing and then do the opposite, they really got to rethink things. Yeah. So when you start hearing somebody say ridiculous stuff like keep your head down or stay down on it, just sit there and think that those people don't know that they've just limited your motion and limited your ability to hit it hard because all you got left is your hands and arms now. Right. Because you sure can't turn your body through it because you put a boat anchor on their head and stuck it in the ground. Yeah. That's what that is. So, you know, get a little snippy with the people that say they got to keep their head down. So when I start working with kids and let their parents, you know, I start telling the parents, don't be the person to ruin your child. <laughs> and I tell it right in front of their kid. Uh -huh. Okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> and sometimes I give them a, the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, so here's the thing that you're going to want to never let your child hear from anybody else so that you can just move them away from that ignorant person as, as if they're smart enough to know, but I'll tell them, and here's why you don't want it. And then the kid hears it and then the parents hear it. And then the parents will never say it. And I've effectively embarrassed them into never saying it, <laughs> yeah. which is great. Now, when people who should know better say it, is it bad advice or are they just miscommunicating what they mean? It's bad advice. Okay. It's just bad advice. Okay. Because if they were really trying to help someone, they would clean up their language if they thought, if, if they were just miscommunicating. Gotcha. If they just used bad words, if they just used bad words and they're really trying to help somebody, they wouldn't use bad words like that. Okay. They would use different words like try to remain in your posture, which isn't very good for people either because that means that whatever angle they set they think they should be rotating on that angle. And the truth is, is that many people, great swingers of the club, people who move the club fast, people who hit the ball hard, never maintain that spine angle that they tilt it over it. So, they usually stand up throughout. So what do you tell people? I tell people to swing fast. And if they happen to stand tall at the end, that's good for their backs. Okay. It's not so good for their back if they're still crunched over at the end. But what I do is I get them to swing fast and use natural motion. And when they see that, what always happens is that they're swinging faster. They come up out of it and then they don't have to have this thought about what they're supposed to do, staying down on it, keep their head down, all that other nonsense because they just struck a ball well and they didn't have to think about those things that are damaging and detrimental to it because I just got them to hit a ball well because I got them to swing faster. I got them to move the club faster. I got them to skim it on the ground and strike the ball well. And then all of a sudden those other nasty, terrible thoughts go away. When you swing the ball, when you swing the club fast, uh, like you say, it, it automatically pulls your body up. At, at it sure does during fall through. That's right. It sure does. You need to talk to intrepid producer Mark, and I'm going to use his name as an example right here because you know he's not in the room right now. He's separated by some thick glass, so he can't do anything to me. Um, but I think that's <laughs> I think that's Mark's problem. Not not problem is too strong a word. I think that's that's Mark. That's why Mark can't hit his his ball as far as I do. Because he seems to swing just with his arms. He he seems to consciously keep his body still. And he has not yeah. a whole lot of well, range of motion in there. You know, the damaging part of that is really it's unfortunate that it, it just limits how far he can hit it now. It does not limit how solidly you can strike a golf ball, mm -mm. and it does not limit the fact that you still can hit it very straight because those are things about contact, mm -hmm. but it is definitely a thing about how fast you can actually get the club to move. Yeah, and Mark is very good at hitting because it straight. Because when you – well, very, that's right. We yeah. call him Mr. Fairway for a reason. Yes, we right? do. Yes. But if he has to play from the, the front of the fairway as a result, um, instead of going back to a tee box – <laughs> then you know it's too bad right mm -hmm. it's 
too bad. We got to make sure that he can hit the ball farther by moving it faster, and that requires the body to rotate. Yeah, that inquire that requires all of the force that your body can muster, not just your arms moving. Fantastic. All right, so there you go. The cliches you need to ignore and how to fix them should you uh, be given that advice. Ignore it and do it this way because this way is the best way. Uh, It's the Jeff way, and we all know that that (laughs) is the the best way. That's it. That is it. Uh, We thank you for being around here. Uh, Why don't you check out, Jeff, a lot more tips, techniques, tricks, and things that are going to uh, get your score down as soon as your next round, if you pay attention, $5golfclub.com. Use the number $5golfclub.com. Facebook.com slash golfguys. If you want to uh, just hang out with us, we'd appreciate it. Tweet us at WKND Golf Guys. And anytime you want to hear any of the stuff we have done, thoseweekendgolfguys.com. All right, so go out there and ignore all the bad advice, take only the good advice, and go play some golf. Of course, we have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash golfguys. We would love it if you were to go there and like us. We'd love it even more if you'd go there and follow us. And you want to make us real happy, just go there and interact with us. Facebook.com slash golfguys. Hey, Jeff, I got a letter, $5 Golf Club. It was addressed to you, but it came to me. But it said, Jeff, man, I took your advice from the show twice. One, you advised me to join $5GolfClub.com. I did. Two is you advised me to buy the best ball I, I could afford, and I'm getting those Strixons, Keystars. I'm paying about 36 bucks a dozen for them. So I used to lose two balls a round, and I played a round a week. That's eight balls a month. That's $24 a month. He said, after some of the lessons at $5 Golf Club, I'm not losing that many anymore. I lose maybe three a month. That's nine bucks. Ooh. Yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah. Wait a minute. I think that's good math. It's good math, man. He's spending nine bucks on lost balls, five bucks on us. That's 14 bucks. He's still making a $10 profit. (laughs) That's right. Go to $5GolfClub.com, listen to me, and make money. How do you like that? Okay, I'm sure you know the name Peter Millar. Peter Millar designs, makes, and sells the most comfortable golf wear ever. And it's not just golf wear, man. I mean, they've got pants and shorts and shirts, polo shirts and regular shirts. Like, I'm wearing a performance polo right now from Peter Millar. And I've been wearing Peter Millar stuff since the early 2000s. Way before they ever said, hey, we'd like to advertise on your radio show. So, trust me when I tell you this, it is the most comfortable stuff you will ever find. Whether you're going to wear it on the golf course, which is cool because it helps protect you from the sun, or a little business lunch, or networking uh, activities, or whatever it is you're doing, the Peter Millar clothing is going to fit right, and it's going to fit in. I want you to go over right now to PeterMillar.com. That's M-I-L-L-A-R.com slash weekend. Check out their stuff. If you use our name, which is weekend, that's PeterMillar.com slash weekend. You'll get free shipping and a free hat. PeterMillar.com slash weekend. If I were you, I'd go there right now.